Good morning. Welcome to 2017. It is good to be up here this morning. I'm giving George a break. It's really good because I don't like preaching two services, a little confession. And this is the only day of the year, mainly over 15 years that we've only had one service. So I'm really excited about one service. That way, if you forget what you said, it doesn't matter because it's only one service. It's great. So I'm happy to be here and I'm excited only to be doing one service. And I, I want to applaud you for coming out this morning. This would have been a really easy one. I'm sure many of you did that battle with the dark forces of the spiritual world this morning saying, you know, it's just one service. They didn't do your 915 service. You're off the hook. You don't have to go. It's New Year's Day. But I'm glad you're here. I appreciate it. The other reason I like preaching this day is because you are the soldiers. If you came this morning, you're just not a haphazard seeker. If you're here this morning, you're excited about the new year, you're excited about what God's going to do, and you're looking forward to 2017. Those of us who aren't here aren't looking forward to 2017, or 2016 lasted a little long and maybe a little, um, maybe they had a little too much to drink. I don't know. We'll just go there. And if you're here this morning and you had too much to drink, that's okay. God still loves you. You're in the right place. Um, Okay, since it is the New Year's Day, we're going to play a little game. So I'm going to give you a definition, and you're going to give me the word. The definition is doing the same thing over and over the same way and expecting different results. Insanity, exactly. Whether you're in the church or whether you're in the world, that, wor that word, that definition is so true. If you do the exact same thing you did in 2016, day in and day out, what results are you going to get? The same results, exactly. So if you want something different in 2017, you're going to have to do something different, or else it'll be the definition of insanity, and none of us want that. This is really a two-part series, but I'm, I'm, I realize the Cowboys play at 12, I also realize it doesn't really matter. Praise the Lord for the first year in two decades. Um, if you're not a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry. Um, this is the Cowboys year with a couple of rookies. That's supernatural. Um, Cowboys, if you're a fan of the Cowboys, you've had um, eight and eight years for the last 20 years. I'm a fan. I love pain. I've always been a Rangers fan. Now I'm a Stars fan and a Cowboys fan. You love pain, but not this year. So I realize they play today. And it's a swan song, so you can just win or lose, it doesn't matter. The diehard fan saying, oh, yes, it does. Um, and maybe we'll get to see Tony Romo play. We'll see. The first part of this series would have been this, and I'm going to just give it to you in a nutshell. It would have been setting this message up this way. Romans 8 says this, that God loves you just the way you are. Romans 8.1 says it this way, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ has paid it all. You're fully loved. You're a beloved child of the God, no matter what 2016 looked like. If you're a child of the God, you're seen in the righteousness of Christ. The cross covers you, and God now sees you through Jesus. So there's no condemnation. Romans 8 also goes on then to say that all, because you're a child of the King, because you're in Christ, all things work out to make you Christ-like. And what is that? 
They work out to your good because they make you more Christ-like and that's your good. And then Romans 8 ends with this. It says that now you're more than conquerors in Christ who loves you. So that would have been a whole 30-minute series. We're not going to go through that because I only have one day. But the points would have simply been there's no condemnation for you in Christ. You are, all things work out to your good because you're in Christ. They make you like Christ. And then ultimately, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. My favorite illustration of that would have been Gideon from the Old Testament. Gideon is hiding in a wine press where he can't be seen by the enemy, threshing wheat. Now, if you know anything about threshing wheat, you can't thresh wheat without wind. There's no wind in the wine press. So basically, while he is hidden trying to thresh wheat in a wine press, God calls him a valiant warrior. Because God knows your potential. So Romans 8 talks about your potential. Romans 8 finishes by saying that the Holy Spirit prays for you. Jesus sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for you. And God himself is your greatest fan. So that would have been um, series message number one if we could have gone there. So you need to know that first of all. Because today we're going to talk about spiritual insanity. And you need a foundation that says, no matter what I do, I cannot impress God or depress God. Do you realize that? You can't impress God or depress God because who are you in? Christ Jesus. And when God sees us, he sees us in Christ Jesus and sees us as perfectly conquerors, no condemnation, valiant warrior. That's who God sees you. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. That's who God sees you as. That's message one. Let's pray and start message two. Abba, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a new year, a new beginning, a fresh start. God, we thank you that in Christ we are yours and you are ours, just like we just sang in that song. God, may you be honored today. Jesus, may you be exalted and may you have all glory for today. God, if I say anything today that's not true, take it immediately out of people's minds. But God, the things that I say today are true. Quicken it in our spirit so that we can be significant children of yours. Pray this, Jesus, in your blessed name. Amen. Okay, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Put your hand up. Nobody? Well, good. <laughs> because here's what happens. New Year's resolutions last as long as what? The resolve to keep them. The older you get, the fewer resolutions you make because you realize who you are and you re your resolve doesn't last very long. However, some of you have made New Year's resolutions that will become a life change. What's the difference? I've studied people and I've noticed some difference in those who keep their resolutions and those who don't. So let's look at a few of those things. Those who keep their resolution, maybe your resolution, like mine, is to get in a little better shape and lose a few pounds. Did anybody make that resolution? That's because you're all in shape and you're really skinny. No, nobody says, I want to be in better shape this year. That's okay. Um, but in order to keep that resolution, you need some things to help you. So I've looked at some common denominators and what people do to do that. One of those is, some people, if they can afford it, buy gym membership. They get real serious, and they go to the gym, a place where they can get better shape. They get around a like-minded group of people. Some will join a group. Some will join a CrossFit group. 
uh, whatever the latest fad is group, in order to be in a group, they can hold you accountable to what you said you wanted to do. Some of you even do a one-on-one situation where you hire a trainer that you pay to abuse you and tell you horrible things. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? That's what George is. He's your personal trainer, but none of you would pay him directly to say bad things to you. Um, some of you, when I've noticed that when your resolutions stick, you study up on it. You go on the internet, you look at nutrition, you realize I can't eat 7,000 calories a day of cheeseburgers and lose weight. You get educated. Um, some of you begin to actually enjoy working out. I'm impressed. I know some of you that run or you bike long distance and you tell me you actually love it. I don't get it, but I want to get it. Um, and some of you, when something really works for you, you tell everybody around you. Some of us don't even want to hear it, but you still tell us, hey, I've got this great new thing that really works for me. And I'm like, yeah, I tried that and it didn't work for me. Good for you. So, but I've noticed several things when resolutions become lifestyles that happen. That's the same way we're going to look at that today with spiritual lifestyle. If you want to be spiritually fit like you are want to be physically fit, you have to do a lot of the same things. It's the same process. Matter of fact, the Bible, several places, will show a comparison of being physically fit to being spiritually fit. Paul has several illustrations. He says, like a boxer boxes to win a prize, I get spiritually fit. He says, like a runner runs a race to win first place, it says that's what we get spiritually fit. We have to be dedicated to it. We have to do that. Paul goes on to say, in 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6, 6, he said, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. So that's our definition for spiritually fit, to be godly and to be content. If your spiritual fitness is big and strong, then you're living a godly life and you're doing it with contentment. Do you want to be godly? Do you want to have contentment in 2017? Sure you do, or you wouldn't be here on New Year's Day. But before you start that workout, that new regime for your body physically, you need to do an assessment and make a plan to see where you are, to see where you need to go. Just like physically, I wouldn't go into the gym and try to run on a treadmill at the speed really fast for three or four hours. It wouldn't work. I would die of a heart attack about 10 minutes in. Or I might fall off the treadmill about one minute in, but whatever it would be, it would not be good. So just like the physically, you don't just jump in the gym and start pressing three or 400 pounds without any work up to that. That's what we are spiritually. We have to do an assessment. So let me give you some of the questions I ask myself. I do the negative and the positive. So I say, Dennis, self, are you just surviving or are you prospering spiritually? I ask myself, am I sleeping in longer and longer or am I praying longer and longer each morning? I ask myself, am I boasting in the Lord or am I complaining about my gifts and talents for him? Am I loose-lipped with other secrets and tight-lipped with the message of Jesus? Am I dreading my time alone with God, or do I do it expectantly and excited? Am I present with Him enough to actually hear Him speak? I ask myself, am I passionate about the trivial world things, 
and apathetic about eternal things? Or am I passionate about eternal things and kind of apathetic about material things? I ask myself, what's making me angry? Do I get more angry at being cut off on the freeway? Or do I get angry about abortion and child abuse and persecution of my brothers and sisters in Christ? I ask myself, am I more thrilled about the cowboys? Or am I thrilled about people coming to Christ and then having their lives transformed? Those are some of the questions I ask myself. I have to confess to you as my church family, I fear that sometimes I come to church, I go to my groups, I sing, I pray, I listen to scripture that's read and taught, I take notes and learn much about God, but at the same time I can grow distant from God and I get an undisciplined lifestyle spiritually as I grow distant from God. So as my church family this morning, I want you to ask yourself some of those questions as well. Ask yourself, where am I today in my spiritual fitness? Forgetting what happened last year. Paul says, forget what lies behind you and press forward, he doesn't say this, in 2017 to the upward call of Christ. It can be a new year for you. It can be a different year. We all struggle from time to time with spiritual fitness as we do with physical fitness. But there are a few things you must do to stay spiritually fit. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to start with the story of Peter when he was called to be a disciple. It says Jesus was teaching on the Sea of Galilee on, up on the, on the beach. And he says he came down and he saw two boats that were pulled up on the shore. One was Simon, who later became Peter. And the other one was John, James and John, called the sons of Zebedee. And they were fishing. They'd been fishing all night long. So Jesus comes, he's preaching to a crowd. He leaves the crowd, gets in one of the boats, and then finishes his teaching. Then he tells Simon Peter, he says, Peter, push your boat out a little bit. So they push the boat out. And Jesus says, now, Peter, throw your nets over in the deep water. Now, if you know the story, they pull up the net with so many fish, the boat begins to sink. So they yell at their friends who have the other boat, and they come out, and they fill that boat, and it kind of begins to sink. And so they go from all night fishing, catching nothing, to doing what Jesus said and finding great success. But Jesus had a deeper plan. Jesus said, I want you men who are fishing for fish now to follow me and go fish for men. So we look at three aspects of that life Peter had. Before Jesus showed up, Peter was just surviving. He was going day to day, providing a meal here, a meal there, and just getting by. When Jesus showed up and Peter, happened instantly, began to do things Jesus' way, following godly principles, he found success earthly. His boats were overflowing. But then Jesus had another level that he wanted Peter on. He said, Simon, follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. I want to take you to a significant life. Just like Peter, we're the same way. We live life on one of those three areas. We're either just surviving and getting by day to day. Now, I know the Bible says don't worry about tomorrow, but it never says don't plan for tomorrow. Tell you what, if you plan tomorrow and get margin in your life, you don't worry about tomorrow as much. Second level is success. The level of success is where things seem to be going really good for you on the outside. And then the third level that God ultimately wants us on is the level of significance. He wants us to move from being successful to being significant. Now, let's look at those three a little bit and take those a little deeper. 
What are we doing if we're surviving? We're wasting what God has given us. What has God given us? He's given us time. He's given us talents, abilities, things we know how to do, and he's given us treasure. So he's given us time, talent, and treasure. George has taught on that several times. So what level you're on depends on what you do with those three resources God has given you. If you're on the level of survival, you just waste those. You get to the end of the day and you don't know what you did with your time, your talent, or your treasure. If you're on the level of success, you're consuming those on you and yours. So you use all your time, talent, and treasure for you and your family and your kids. There's nothing wrong with that unless that's all you do. The third level significant is where, significance is where you're investing your time, your talent, and your treasures in God's kingdom, in other people. You're helping them move from survival to the level of significance. So on one level, we waste what we have. One level, we consume what we have. And on one level, we invest what we have. Let me just address one group this morning. If you feel like you're in their survival group and you feel like you're just barely getting by, don't grow weary. You're just like those in the significant group. You have time, talents, and treasure. You just may not know what those are yet. Don't stay weary. You're full of potential. If you're in that survival group, the first message I didn't get to preach, if you're in that survival group, you're still not condemned. You're still loved by God, and you're still more than a conqueror, no matter what level you're living on right now. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Ephesians 6 says that, that you're against the spiritual forces of wickedness. What's their goal for you? Kill, steal, and destroy your time, your talents, and your treasure. So you've got to get out of that level of survival and quit letting the evil forces kill, steal, and destroy what God has given you. You need to do that by taking a step to get spiritually fit. That's why it's so important. It's because we're not against each other. I'm not against Hillary or against Trump. I'm against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's scary. It's our adversary. But in Christ, remember the message I didn't teach, in Christ, there's no condemnation for you, and you're more than a conqueror in Christ who loves you. Sometimes it can be hard to tell whether you're in success or significance. And so real quickly, before we move on to the three things we're going to talk about, how to get spiritually fit, let me tell you the difference in success and significance. Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? Is it for God's glory or is it for your glory? If you're doing things for your glory, then you're living on a level of success. If you're doing things for God's glory and for God's kingdom, then you're on that level of significance. So let's look today briefly at three pillars that we need to make us spiritually fit. Now, there are far more than these three. But if you're going to jump back into the gym to get physically fit, you don't start doing little wrist curls. You start with the big core muscles. You start with bench press. You start with overhead press. You just get those core muscles. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how to build those core muscles stronger. Because physically fit, the stronger your core is, the stronger everything else can be. You can't have huge arms on a little chest. You can, but you're not going to be any stronger than your weakest muscle. So today we're going to look briefly at three of those things you must include to be strong spiritually. Number one, living in spiritual community, the key with accountability. 
Living in spiritual community with accountability. Hebrews 10 says it this way. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's godly living, living on significance. It could say, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and significance. Not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the drawing near. You can't encourage one another unless you're with one another. So the first key to getting spiritually fit is being with a group. That group can look like many things. Personally, here's what my group looks like. I meet with three guys on my inner circle who can ask me anything, and they don't judge me. I meet with about five pastors in another group who we sharpen one another. And then I meet with a group of men. We used to meet on Tuesday night. Now we're going to start meeting on Monday night to go through systematic theology. And by the way, if you want to be in that class, if you will email me, we'll let you be in there. It's very low-key. We do one chapter in Grudem's Systematic Theology every week, and it's, it's a very deep class, but we love one another and encourage one another to love and good deeds. So what do you do in that group you're in? Well, we know that too. God's told us that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 15. Here's what God says to do in your biblical community that has accountability. What does accountability look like? Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. That's what you do in your groups. That's what we do. It's right there. You admonish, you encourage, you help, and you're patient with each other as you encourage one another to love and good deeds. You have to have biblical community with accountability. So if you're already in a group and they hold you non-accountable, get in a group that holds you accountable. That's my only advice on groups. Groups can look a lot of different ways, but you have to have one to get more spiritually fit. It's like your core muscle. Second pillar we need, you have to live a disciplined lifestyle. You don't get this physique from living a disciplined lifestyle. This is what undisciplined looks like physically. I hold to the adage that physical fitness is of little profit, but spiritual fitness is of great profit. Not really, that's my excuse. But you have to live a disciplined lifestyle. You talk to my wife, she'll talk to you about how disciplined I am eating. Not. Um, so you get a disciplined lifestyle by doing what we call spiritual disciplines. Now there's a bunch of them. We're not going to go over those again. I'm going to talk about some that are like bench press and bicep curls, some that are core to what you need to do. The core one we're not, not going to talk about today is prayer. Prayer, I'm not going to talk about that because we're going to spend a whole series on prayer beginning at the end of January, and I'm excited. We're going to do some really great things around prayer. We're going to have midweek prayer service. We're going to do lots of things. So I'm excited about what we're going to do there. So I've not included prayer because the Cowboys start in 14 minutes. Um, but the first core discipline you need is investing your time, not in other people first, but in God's Word. You have to invest in God's Word. If you don't know God's Word, it's hard to do everything else. God's Word is kind of like the very, very core of who you're going to be in Christ. How do you get into God's Word? That's where spiritual disciplines. There's hearing God's Word, there's reading it, there's studying it, there's meditating on it, there's memorizing it, but ultimately, you have to obey it. 
All of those are spiritual disciplines of how you get into God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All of God's Word, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that, why do we have God's Word? Here it is. So that the man of God, woman of God, may be adequately equipped for every good work. That's godliness, a life of significance for every good work. So there's four things in that scripture. I like to think about it like a train on a track. Teaching is teaching you what the train looks like and what the track looks like. Reproof is telling you when you get off the track. Correction is telling you how to get back on the track. And training your righteousness is telling you how to stay on the track. Because the Christian life is like a train going uphill all the time. When you quit working on your spiritual fitness, just like physical fitness, almost immediately it starts going back downhill. So you're always having to be spiritually disciplined to become spiritually fit. The second core discipline after investing in God's Word is enjoying the presence of God. If you don't enjoy the presence of God, you're not really ever going to be spiritually fit. You have to spend time with God. How do we do that? Spiritual disciplines of worshiping by praise and praying without ceasing, by being still and listening, through confession, fasting, meditation, by surrendering to whatever God calls you to do. Enjoying His presence is without ceasing throughout the whole day. Acknowledging He's there first thing in the morning and just enjoying God all day long. If you've ever seen George at the mall, he's enjoying God's presence as he's preparing his message. My nephew saw him a while back out the mall, and he said, man, if you didn't know better, you'd think George might be crazy, just walking around talking to himself. But he knows George, and he knows George is in God's presence preparing the Word of God for us the next Sunday. God, George is just not preparing our message. He's in God's presence listening to God while he's preparing that. He knows how to fulfill that presence and be in that presence of God. Hebrews 10, 9 through 23 says it this way. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus in Christ, no condemnation, more than conquerors, God's our greatest fan. Holy Spirit's praying for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for you. Therefore, because we go into that place, verse 20, by a new and living way which Jesus inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, then what do we do? We can enjoy God's presence. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast as we enjoy that presence of God, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now that is a deep message in itself. I know that. But that's the essence of God's presence. It's in Christ that we enter directly into the Holy of Holies. You and I are now the temple of God by God's choice and now he lives in us and so now we're the temple people no longer come to the temple the temple goes to people and lives a significant life so what isn't a disciplined lifestyle let's look at three quick things what isn't remember the purpose of discipline is godliness the purpose of discipline is godliness it's not 
a barometer for spirituality. Remember, you can't impress or depress God because He sees you in Christ. So doing spiritual disciplines, working out and getting spiritually fit is not a barometer for spirituality. The barometer is your character and how you live out the life of the fruit of the Spirit. That's the barometer. It's how you live out your life. I can work out all I want, but my goal is not to become a professional treadmill runner, right? The treadmill helps me breathe better, helps my heart work better, all those kind of things. But my goal is not to become a professional treadmill runner. My goal is what the benefits I get from that, and that's the way spiritual disciplines are. Secondly, it's not unpleasant. If your spiritual disciplines are unpleasant, stop them immediately and start another one that is pleasant. Spiritual disciplines are not supposed to be unpleasant. When I spend time with my wife, it's not unpleasant. If it is, we don't do that anymore and we do something different. So it's not unpleasant. That's why my wife and I don't run together because I would call that unpleasant. Now, I know some of you do run with your wives and that's great. Third thing, spiritual disciplines, getting spiritually fit is not a way to earn favor with God. Please don't think that because there's no amount of Bible study that will impress God. There's no lack of Bible study that will depress God. If you get nothing else, I want you to go back to message number one. You are not condemned. You are fully loved and you're more than a conqueror in Christ. These only make you more spiritually fit. The third and final pillar of being spiritually fit for 2017 is serving through my place in my purpose in life. Serving. I like the way Rick Warren says it. Rick Warren says you should have a ministry in the church and a mission to the world. What's the difference? Evangelism. If your mission to the world is only ministry and not evangelism, then it's not a mission, it's a ministry. The difference in ministry and mission is evangelism. Here's the way Jesus defines them. Roman 12, 4, and 6 calls this ministry. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly in the church. You should have a ministry in the church. If you don't, then that's your next step of physical fitness or spiritual fitness is to get a ministry in the church. And then Matthew 28, 19 through 20 talks about our mission to the world. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. There it is. We're to go and be missionaries in the world locally, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, and globally around the world. That is being spiritually fit is serving. The interesting thing is, what happens the more you work out your body? The stronger it gets. It's pretty interesting. Now, I know you can overwork your body, but the more you work out, the stronger you get and the more work you can do. Guess what? That's the same way it is in the spiritual world. The more you serve the better you get at serving. The more you go and evangelize, the better you get at evangelizing. Physical and spiritual are identical there. The more you work out, the stronger and better you get. So you need a ministry in the church and a mission to the world. 
Now, when you start getting spiritually fit, just like physically fit, opposition comes in. Like when my wife starts getting physically fit and starts watching what she eats, what do I do? Start whining and complaining like, oh, is this really what we're having for supper? Where's dessert? So that can happen spiritually as well. Remember, the spiritual forces of wickedness, they're not happy you're getting spiritually fit. And they're trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So real quick, I want to point out three roadblocks or anchors that will try to keep you from getting spiritually fit. The first one is fear. All over the Bible, from the beginning to the end, people say, I was afraid. All over the Bible, we see fear. And there's a healthy fear, and there's an unhealthy fear. The fear of what God can do to a person who does not know Christ is a great fear. But all other fears should be dispelled by Jesus. Matthew 10 says it this way, Therefore do not fear them, there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Well, I tell you in the darkness, when I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. And those who can kill the body, Satan can kill your body. That, that can happen, but he can't touch your soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I wish I had a little more time to take a little side light. God will put more on you than you can handle, okay? When somebody says God will not put more on you than you can handle, that's not true. If that was true, no one would ever die as a martyr. What is true, if God puts more than you, you can handle, guess who's there to handle it for you? God. So God regularly puts more on you than you can handle, so your dependence will be on Him and not yourself, and you'll become spiritually stronger. Romans 8.28 says it this way, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God sees you in Christ. And all things work out that you think are bad to make you more like Christ if you're called according to His purpose, even if you don't see how that works. And third thing, the roadblock that... Um, will keep us, or second thing they'll keep us down is purposelessness. Purposelessness, aimlessness, unfocused. You don't know what you're doing. Remember, our goal is godliness. So that's our purpose in all things we do. Sometimes we think God is elusive, but it's because we're doing things that aren't on purpose for His kingdom, and we seem to lose Him in that. Our goal is godliness with contentment. Philippians 2 says it this way 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation, here's the good fear, with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good purpose and pleasure. It says to work out or work on your strength of spiritual fitness. It doesn't say to work for your salvation. It says to work out your salvation to get spiritually strong. And then third thing, the third roadblock, anchor that'll hold you back, and this is a big one in North Dallas, is the cares of this world. They will choke out the word and purposes of God. Mark 4:19, a direct warning to us in North Dallas. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out God's word 
and it becomes unfruitful, unpurposeful, aimless. And then Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, kind of summing that up, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, I forget 2016, what lies behind, and I reach forward to 2017, what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize. What's the prize? Godliness with contentment. The upward call of God in Christ to His glory. So as we close today, let me ask you this, church. What level are you living on? Are you just surviving? Are you living for success and man's applause? Are you living on significance for one person's applause only, and that's for Jesus? What are you living on? What do you want to be in 2017? You get to make 2017 what you want it to be in this arena. You don't get to control all the circumstances but you get to control how you handle circumstances. I love the way George says it. When I say, well, under these circumstances, George is like, what are you doing under those circumstances? Get on top of those. You get to decide how you react to the world. You don't get to choose how the world reacts to you, but you get to choose. You can either survive it, you can just get success out of it, or you can live a significant life in it. This kind of life of significance, being spiritually fit, will outlast your family, your career, your hobbies, whatever else you're spending your time on. There's nothing more important than living a life of significance and helping others to lead that life as well. To help bringing other people into the kingdom and to help equip them and then deploy them into their place of significant ministry, locally and globally, is such a rush. There's nothing as good as that. Change lives for the glory of God and the growth of His kingdom to invest your time, talent, energy, your resources, your abilities, your hurts. What happened to you in 2016? Turn it all around and invest it in significance in 2017. And I know there's probably someone here today, you don't know Jesus. And what I'm talking about, you want, but you don't know how to get it. The Bible's clear. It says that each one of us must decide what we're going to do with the Bible's claims. The Bible says this, that we've earned three things because of our life of sin. It says we've earned physical death, God's wrath, and eternal separation from God. Physical death, God's wrath, and eternal separation from God. You can choose to take that yourself. If you say, hey, I'm ready, bring it on, God. Or the Bible says you can put your faith in Jesus that what He did through His sacrificial death on that cross can take those death, physical death, wrath, and separation from God. The good news is this, that Jesus on that cross brought reconciliation to God. He took the death by dying. He took the wrath by taking the wrath of all our sin on that cross. And He gave us a new life that will be forever with God. We are reconciled to God, the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 10 this, that if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord which is recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes in Jesus as Savior, resulting in justification. What's that word mean, justification? It means being freed of the guilt of sin and made acceptable to God, having fully received that wrath by Jesus, our wrath. 
And with the mouth, the Bible says he conf we confess and openly confess, resulting in confirmation of that salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes, trusts, and relies on him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction, it says, in Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And when you're saved, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for you. You're considered a, more than a conqueror in Christ who died for you. And the Holy Spirit prays for you. Jesus intercedes for you. And God becomes your biggest fan. So if you've never done that, there will be a prayer team in the back. And they would love to share with you how you can be this day your day of salvation. Let me end with a one short story and we'll be done. The Bible says that one day when we die, we'll all go to heaven, those who know Christ. And as a believer, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I think the Bible says we're going to know each other as we've known now. So someday somebody's going to walk up to you if you're living a life of significance in heaven, and they're going to say, you know, you changed my life. And you're going to be, I don't even know you. I've been dead for years. You're, I don't know you. And they're going to say, you know, you don't know me. But when you were on earth in 2017, you made a change in your life. And you began to live a life of significance. And you prayed, you gave, you served, you sacrificed and ministered to my grandfather. He then received Christ. And my whole trajectory of my family was changed at that point. Because you made a decision to be different in 2017. You shared with my grandfather. And now all of our family trajectory is different. Thank you for making that difference. That will happen in heaven. You will know those who you have been directly influenced over. Do you want something any more than that? That's the most significant thing that can happen is helping people be reconciled to God and then start their own ministry of reconciliation. George says this sometime, that we give first-class allegiance to second-class causes. You don't want that to be your 2017. You want to give your first-class allegiance to significance to Jesus' first-class cause. What could be more important this next year for you, for me, God's people fulfilling His purpose in His world through His church? Let me challenge you this first day of a new year, church, to get into biblical community that has accountability, to dig deep into God's Word and learn to live in His presence. Fall in love with God in 2017. And then find your God-given place, your purpose, here in our church and your mission to the world. And then one year from now, when 2018 rolls around, you can say, wow, 2017 was the best year of my life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us, for caring for us, and for making 2016 a year when your grace was just as abundant as it has ever been. God, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We are yours and you are ours. You have said you're our Abba Father and you've adopted us in as your children. So God, I pray over my church today that they would know that love above all else. That God, their desire to be more spiritually fit would be one out of love for you, admiration for you, one to bring you more glory and honor. 
God, I pray a special supernatural blessing over our church today that no one would feel like they are less than important because of what their life is. But God, help them understand how much you love them because of the righteousness of Christ, not by their own righteousness. God, I thank you that we cannot impress you or depress you today, this year. That God, it's in Jesus that you see us. Thank you that your way is the only way. And that through Jesus, we are reconciled to you. And now, God, there's no condemnation for us. Praise you. God, there's no thing that can come to us that will not make us more like Christ for our good. And thank you, God, that you see us as valiant warriors more than conquerors. May this year, God, be one that will bring you glory and honor. Make us more spiritually fit. Give us the desire. Give us the plan and then motivate us every day through your spirit. I pray that over my church today, God. May you be real to them, and may your love even be more real. May we enjoy your presence. Jesus, it's in your name we worship. It's in your name we come before you. Oh, God, I thank you for that praise worship song, that it's in Christ alone. Amen.